What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. Today is February 4th, 2020. What's up? My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hey there, Double G. What's going on, man? What's up, Natalie Z? I mean... You know what? Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, not much going on here. Just hanging with uh, with my baby. <laughs> what about you? I can't believe it's February. And then I kind of feel like, you know, like, what, how did that happen? And it's like, oh, it's because I've been traveling all month. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, sh- I was yeah, at- you've been busy. There's been stuff in L.A., Vegas, like, yeah. Like, I was at Connor. I was at uh, Bellator. I was hanging out with Dominic Reyes at Hinoki and the Bird this week, last week, you know, so it's like, psh- I've been on the move. That's how the calendar sneaks up on you. But um, yeah, we are moving along. It has been very busy. How's baby Joe doing? He's hanging in there, man. Growing, growing uh, exponentially day by day. It's kind of <laughs> scary. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, hey, pretty soon he's going to be joining us to talk about MMA. Um, guys, we don't really have a big MMA weekend. If I'm being honest, I feel like everyone got to enjoy their Super Bowl party. And now we're going into, I think they said it's close to eight or nine straight weeks of MMA, especially UFC in particular. So we're about to be very busy. We're going to be recapping fights every week for our new, uh, listeners, subscribers, everything else. We always, you know, look forward to the next fight. So we're going to have plenty going on. Um, I want to say, Natalie, it goes straight through to that one big fight that we don't talk about, and Natalie <laughs> thinks she could play with fire, and that's not cool, but we're not going to talk about it, otherwise I'm going to find a new co-host, because that is... I won't, I won't talk about it. Exactly. Um, well, uh, now you're kind of right. tempting me to talk about it. <laughs> uh, silence you. We all know what fight it is. It's like Beetlejuice. The more you say it, the more energy you put on it. Anyway, so you guys know we're going to be here every week. We're going to have plenty to talk about. Natalie, let's get into it. I think the big news from the weekend is that Jorge Masvidal has one of those uh, stained glass print t-shirts for every day of the week. Because he was wearing (laughs) another one when he faced off with Jorge Masvidal. And it prompted Dana White to go out there on Super Bowl Media Week and say that that is the plan. Jorge versus Kamaru, UFC Welterweight Championship, International Fight Week. Let's start from the top because we don't have a lot going on. What did you think about their little altercation? It was kind of funny um, because it's like classic, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Well, you're just standing there and you're just standing there. And that's what they were just going back and forth, daring the other one to make a move forward. And then as they're daring each other to step forward, they're both like casually moving backwards or letting someone push them backwards. And so neither of them want to fight. I don't doubt that, you know, if someone actually threw a punch, I don't doubt the other one would, would get would get into it and, and throw down as well. But they're too smart, especially Masvidal on the train he's riding. He's not going to jeopardize anything. Uh, you know, they, they got the footage that they needed. I'm not saying it was staged. It was real. The animosity looks super real. But, uh, you know, they also, in the back of their minds, knew that they were helping to build the fight. So it was, uh, it was uh, you know, dangerous, but not really dangerous. I'm going to do a public service announcement. Because if you are a, quote, casual fan, I think every casual knows that, if anything, you don't want to sound like a casual. You may be the new kid, but you don't want to sound new. If you are not a big UFC fan, but you like to talk about the things going on, let me just tell you right now, at this level of the game, no guy is an idiot to do something like start a fight for free. The only way they get paid their millions is if they actually do it in the cage under the rules. So let me just say that again. No idiot is going to go out there and start a fight for free. If they are, you will unanimously say this is a very, you know, someone who does not have common sense. Plain and simple. (laughs) So guys, anytime you see this, always keep that in mind. Don't ever drink the Kool-Aid. 
Secondly, I do agree that there's some heat, but I think also the you kind of see why these things... I hate to say it, but it's kind of like why the Habib and Connor stuff is so palpable and gets people fired up. It feels more legit. No offense, but when you see Jorge and Kamaru, it's like they're just saying there's like, bruh, I can't wait to get paid thousands to beat your butt, you know, in public, <laughs> you know, in the cage. You know, it's like, I can't wait to do this under contract. That's what they right, were saying, because right. it's like, oh, you're not going to fight me right here. And Kamaru called him out on it, and Jorge, you know, they do their thing. You don't want to back down, but you know you're not going to fight. It's it's very awkward, but I get it, you know. And also, there is a lot of ego. I think both of them are like, bro, when we do this for real, I am going to whoop your, you know. It gets like that. So that's my whole take on the confrontation. I don't doubt that, okay, whether or not it was staged, the people around them knew the other one was right there. Everyone knew they were going to be in close proximity to each other and there was going to be a little bit of fist pound, you know, like pound the chest kind of deal, like the jungle. It's it's a lot of nothing. Like you said, they're promoting the fight. Um, in terms of the welterweight division, because this has now set a lot of things in motion. First and foremost, I think the big one is Conor McGregor. If you thought that they might put together the Masvidal fight for Connor, this kind of shut the shut the book on that one for now. Um, I think the next one is Leon Edwards, Tyron Woodley. Suddenly the winner of that one. What are you looking at in terms of the schedule? And then, of course, there's a lot of other players working their way up. Where does Colby Covington fit in? Where do a lot of these, you know, men fit in in respective, you know, in the lightweight division also if Connor goes back down? So let me just bring it up very bluntly. Kamaru versus Jorge. At the end of the day, is this the fight to make? Is this, did the UFC, you know, play the cards right in booking this one specifically? Yeah, I think for welterweight, I think it makes sense. Kamaru's the champ. He's got to defend it. He's ready to do it in July. That's that's great. He you know he beat up the loudmouth the the UFC loudmouth Colby Covington, and and so you want to give him someone. You want to do two things. You want to give your champion an opportunity to continue to build his name, his profile, and you want to give another of your stars an opportunity to do the same. In this case, it would be Jorge Masvidal if he wins, walking around with two belts you know, the BMF and the champion, the welterweight championship, Kamaru in his, in his case, if he wins, keeps his belt, he could claim the BMF belt, you know, in, in, uh, in theory, not actually receive it and, uh, and be the guy who beats up Jorge Masvidal. So it's a big win for, for the division, for the UFC, totally makes sense. And, and now that they're, you know, they got some beef and it's on video. Um, it's just, it's just helping everyone's case. For me, uh, I completely agree with you in the welterweight division. I think the thing about it, you know, like everyone, you know, you got to look at it from the UFC perspective and look at just where where all the players involved. The fight with uh, Habib and Tony is hands down the biggest fight on the calendar. Bigger than, you know, if you, I'll say it, even if you made Conor versus Jorge, I think that the hype for Habib and Tony is bigger. That's how important that fight is, in my opinion. Um, that being said, I think that it's very clear that the UFC, you know, it, 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 Justin Gaethje said it, and I brought it up, I think, um, a week or two weeks ago. Even Dana White has bosses, and they want him to make the rematch with Conor and Habib if possible. It's just so much money on the table. If they can make it happen... They absolutely want it for a lot of obvious reasons. Millions and millions of, you know, dollars in the bank reasons. If Connor, win or lose, Connor could always say, hey, well, I'm going back up to 170 where I don't cut weight and I feel this and I feel that and Jorge Masvidal's right there or Kamaru Usman's right there. That is always going to be there. Honestly, that is always going to be there. But you literally got what you wanted. He is coming off a victory. He's coming off a hyped contender. Everyone knows Donald Cowboy Cerrone is very exciting. Um, very bluntly, on paper, he got the victory he needed. That if he was just to say, I'm waiting to see what happens with Habib and Tony. 
Okay, you already have your, you know, New Year's Eve blockbuster already set up. It's not even the end of January yet in terms of the calendar. So yeah. for me, that was always going to be there. Now, in terms of the rest of the players involved, what does this mean for Justin Gaethje? What does this mean for Leon Edwards? Unless you've got some guys ready to sit out a year plus, very bluntly, some people are going to have to take some fights. I think that if you're Justin Gaethje... I'm going to say right now, I think that they are hoping that they can make a Poirier rematch in Brooklyn on the undercard, just in case any... <clears throat> nope. I mean, I didn't say it. I didn't... I didn't say it. I, it's too easy. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all, I didn't even... Y'all know what I mean. I wasn't I mean. even going to stop you. Y'all know what I mean. <laughs> the fact is, they may book that fight for that reason say that um i feel like that's what's ufc's angle because otherwise you're looking at close to over a year assuming habib let's say habib were to beat tony first round no damage i don't see him fighting in september quick turnaround after ramadan i really feel like it would be either november msg big arena or a stacked mega card new year's eve i don't see him fighting back in the summertime after all that prep for a guy like Tony. I just don't. So what does that mean for a guy like Justin Gaethje? I mean, now you have that question. Now you look at Leon Edwards or Tyron Woodley at welterweight. One of those guys got to take another fight also. Otherwise, because I don't see the Kamaru and Jorge winner fighting any sooner than December if they were to fight in July. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's it. I think people are just going to have to... Uh... If you want to, if you want to keep money rolling in, keep your name out there, keep uh, you know, keep the reps going, so you don't get you don't get stale. You just gotta have to fight whoever. It might mean looking down the rankings, you know, a spot or two for Gaethje, if you know, unless they do make the Poirier, or uh, or or on the other side, the same thing. But it is what it is, man. That's that's just how it goes. You got a lot of big names at the top, a lot of big names in these two divisions right now. I would say this is a product, especially for Jorge Masvidal, of the work you put in last year. You have made it so there's too much money on the table for the UFC to ignore. And I think that that is a very, very big thing and very big, very real just possibility. So yeah, um, in terms of the fight itself, I mean, this really is number one versus number two for me. I think that Jorge fought a lot of top guys. Remember, Darren Till was coming off a title shot. Um, There was a lot of hype around Nate Diaz and Ben Askren. I mean, everyone saw that fight as a title eliminator, for crying out loud, back in July. So this is real. You know, it's very hype. Once again, Tyron Woodley, uh, Leon Edwards, they have a right to feel a little salty about this. But, you know... He made the noise and he delivered. Those are the two ingredients you need to get a, to book a big fight, and he did that. So yeah, it's I, a no-brainer. I mean, I, yeah, I mean Leon Edwards. That was never going to happen. He's only going to get it when whoever's the champ runs out of bigger names. And then for Tyron, he is a big name. He's exciting to watch, but also like he got owned over five rounds. And so it's not a fight people are clamoring to see again. If it was like a quick knockout, you could say, all right, you know, there's an opportunity for redemption. But just getting owned the way he was, nah. I mean, uh, we'll talk, we'll discuss that more closer to March because I feel like we're, we already want to jump in and break it down. There's still roughly a little more than a month, I think, before that fight. But um, no, it's certainly, I thought that one was March 21st. Am I getting it mixed up with another one? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Sorry, you cut out a little bit there. So I think I might have missed a little bit of a... Uh, With the Edwards-Woodley fight. It's like, that's, we still got more than a month before that one, right? I believe we do. Let's yeah. see if I can... I think that's a March fight. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But my point is, we, you know, we'll be able to figure that out when we get to their fight on, in the aftermath, for sure. The next one... Um, on our show, this one, it just was some bad news. Bellator middleweight champion Rafael Lovato Jr. is pretty much announced that he is on, quote, indefinite retirement. He went on the Joe Rogan podcast and he pretty much said he's got a brain condition that they found, cavernoma, 
And he said pretty much doctors were split on his health because there's no studies that say getting punched in the face, you know, getting punched, getting hit has a negative effect. That being said, you know, common sense says that this is bad for your health. We're not going to approve you to fight. Now, this was found before his fight last June, I believe, with Gegard Musasi. And pretty much Lovato Jr., he found the one doctor, I believe it was in Brazil, who approved him. They gave that to the doctor in um, Europe and they cleared him to fight. But even Europe has now said since then, we are not letting you fight back in London under yep. those rules. I find that crazy. Um, I appreciate Lovato's gamesmanship, but I also, that is a very slippery slope. I would not ever want that to be a trend. So I do think that's very dangerous. And pretty much he said, look, I am ready to be stripped uh, until, you know, the doctors figure it out, which they pretty much said they haven't been able to. I do think I'm done. So just reaction to the news, because obviously that is, you know, he's undefeated on a run coming off the big victory of his career. It's sad to hear that, that a really good fighter like, like Lovato Jr. is, is um, I guess suffering is not necessarily the right word because I don't think he himself was experiencing any symptoms. It's just something that is, is visible through scanning. Um, but you know, it's your brain, man. You gotta, you gotta do the right thing. And as much as it sucks for him and it's his career, this is what he does for a living. You know, he's got a family. He's got to be able to stick around for the long haul. And you gotta just, you gotta just weigh it out. You know, what's is it worth it? You know, he's gone this long not knowing he had the issue and was fine. But it's one of those things where, like, once someone tells you, like, hey, uh, um, you know, this is going to hurt, then all of a sudden it hurts a lot. Where before, if they hadn't said anything, you wouldn't have even noticed. So power of the mind, you know, and I, I wonder how that would have affected him going forward. I oh, mean, yeah. he, he already was aware of it when he got that, when he did the fight with, with Musasi, right? Yep. But as he looks into it more and, and getting shot down by commissions now, I think it's probably becoming more real to him that like, hey, you know what, this is, uh, this is super serious if people are unwilling to, to clear me. No, to me, um, no, I'm completely with you. When I hear this, and I know fans, like, look, we, we feel like it gets obnoxious, right? When everyone, everyone wants a money fight. You win one fight at 155, suddenly you want Conor McGregor and all that stuff, right? I completely get it. Um, you know, it, it could get a little old and, you know, it's like I, you're not getting the fight with Conor. You know, it, like, quiet, son. But when you look at this situation... This is exactly why you will not hear a fighter, you know, be like discouraged from shooting their shot and trying to make big fights and big money happen. Because you truly never know. I mean, I always say this all the time. We talk about TJ Grant. Most people don't remember this guy, but he was coming off a big knockout over former title challenger Gray Maynard. He was penciled in to fight, I believe, Benson Henderson. He pulled out of that fight suffering from a concussion. That was years ago. This guy never fought again. I think that even, you know, he just kind of came to terms with the fact that he was, you know, he was still suffering from, you know, symptoms years later that it's like, well, my MMA career ended like that. And that's just it. And that happens to, you know, very unexpectedly. TJ Grant, I think he was, I, I may even argue he was undefeated in his UFC career leading up to it. I really don't remember. But Lovato Jr., undefeated. Beat everybody at middleweight, got the biggest win of over, over his career over Gegard Musasi, who everyone you know has a great argument, probably the best middleweight in the world, right there with Israel Adesanya, one and two. I mean, you know, this just goes to show you why it's these guys push for big fights, no matter if you're ready, if you're not, because you truly never know what could happen. Yeah, it's true. That makes me think of uh, Chris Holsworth. He was um. I can't remember if he won tough or not, but he was one of the hot prospects coming out of tough, one of the tough seasons and uh, got a concussion and like could never fight again. And now he just coaches or has been coaching and continues to coach for team alpha male. Um, like the, he's like their jujitsu coach or something. It's crazy. That kind of stuff happens. And it's like, 
how can one dude get hit a million times and nothing go wrong? And another dude gets uh, what you wouldn't consider some something as serious and and he's out for the for the count. So yeah, man, the sport's crazy, the human body's unpredictable and it's just a it's just a bad it's a hard pill to swallow, but you gotta do what's best for your for your for your longevity. And I will say, because at least from what I've read and what I've heard from Rafael himself, it sounds almost similar to the Dan Hardy situation. If you remember, they were just like, well, we don't think you can fight. But health wise, it's like, I, technically, I feel like I should be able to. It's almost like it almost seems precautionary. Now, precautions are there for a reason. And when you're talking combat sports, it is better to have them than to not, plain and simple. But it almost feels like it was always in limbo for Dan Hardy. Like, we're still trying to figure this out. We're still learning about it. It almost feels like the same for Lovato Jr. Is this a condition that actually affects him? Is this a precaution? Is this XYZ? Could blows to the head not impact you more than any other physical activity? Maybe doctors know. Maybe they don't. But it, the impression I got is that they were still not... There was not conclusive evidence. It was just more common sense, which isn't a bad thing. But I just feel like it's almost something that there's not a definitive, you know, like, yes, you do this, it will cause that. It doesn't look like there's a research there. So we really don't know. Could he resume his MMA career? I certainly hope so. I would like him to. But I also, listening to him... I'm almost making that mental preparedness like, I really think this might be it. It sounds like this isn't a thing that they're going to figure out while he's still in the prime years of his career. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. And it's a huge bummer for him, but he's, you know, he looks like he's just taking, being proactive and, and stepping out of the way, stepping aside so that he doesn't hold up anything at Bellator. Yeah. Which, let's talk about it. Gegard Mousasi is obviously right there. Um, and more importantly, Gegard is coming off the win over Lyoto Machida, who a lot of people would have said number one contender anyway. Uh, he mentioned John Salter. John Salter, ton of wins in Bellator. His only loss was to Lovato Jr. I want to say that was for Lovato's title eliminator before Musasi. Um, I know John Salter isn't the big name when you consider everything, but... I mean, if Gegard's honestly committed to 185, I feel like that makes sense. And I, um, that's the fight to make. Uh, there was another one. Douglas Lima mentioned moving up to 185, try to be a double champ himself. I love that fight. I think if you're Douglas Lima right now, really, what else are you going for? Um, very bluntly, when you knock out Michael Venom Page the way you did, yes, the rematch is right there, but... Who's got something to gain by winning that one? It's only MVP. Douglas Lima's been in Bellator a long time. He's fought everybody. The only guys who beat him, I think, were Koreshkov in a tight decision. Then Rory, then Ben Askren. He avenged the Rory loss. He's avenged the Koreshkov loss twice. I think the timing's right there. Yeah, I think I think it's like, it's a smart thing to do. You look around and there's a few options and none of them really move the needle. Look up and, you know, Bellator is great at seeing those opportunities, capitalizing on them. So why not, man? Like this is, this is the era of the, the double champ and uh, let's just keep it rolling. Cause it's fun. It's exciting. There's like, it's really cool to see somebody with two belts on their, on one on each shoulder or in case of the, uh, Case of Ryan Bader, three belts, um, you know, whatever, man. Let's just keep it rolling. Belts are smart. They'll they'll do it. Yeah, I think it just all the everyone's saying yes. Like it, the timing is right, and also I'd argue Douglas Lima is in an even better spot than Rory McDonald was. I think Rory did it coming off the win over Douglas Lima, if I'm not mistaken. Like Douglas has kind of swept the board in Bellator with what's available that. You know, anyone else, I, I just don't think it would be interesting, if I'm being honest. Maybe Lorenz Larkin, but I feel like Lorenz, they're setting up for Michael Venom Page. So, and I'll, oh wait, my apologies. L he had a shot at, with Lorenz. He won that fight, I think, um, a couple years ago. So, 
I think the time is right for Douglas Lima to move up. I want to see that fight personally happen. Moving on. Nat well, Natalie, do you have anything else to discuss from our week without MMA? <laughs> do you want to talk about Stephen talk A. Smith? Do you want to talk about... How about them Kansas City Chiefs? That was cool, man. You know, it was... Look, I'll tell you what. I'm a Seahawks fan. That's my team. And uh, so I was bummed that they lost. And being from L.A., I never root for San Francisco. Always root against them. So I was not rooting for the 49ers. However, they have Richard Sherman, who used to be on the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and he was with them when they won the Super Bowl. <coughs> Excuse me. So I was a little conflicted, but I ended up picking KC. And uh, not rooting too hard because, really, I don't have a dog in the fight there. What I was rooting for, as you might guess, and this isn't always the case, but I was quite excited. J-Lo Shakira halftime show. I mean, I think they killed it. It was freaking ridiculously good. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be haters, but that that's just no matter what. So I don't know if you got a chance to see it. I'm going to go ahead and assume oh, you did. Of course everyone saw it. <laughs> oh, no, wait, I did. I think you tweeted or something, right? Yes. I can't remember what you put up. Oh, I, I mean, this, I, I said I forgot everything that happened after Shakira and J-Lo, if I'm that's being right, honest. That's right, <laughs> No, but um, no, it, that, that Kansas City defense, no, that, I mean, everything. I mean, their fourth quarter was hot, almost as hot as Shakira and J-Lo. Austin yeah, Mahone, my boy, congratulations, young man. That is awesome. Um, Andy Reid, congratulations, coach. I mean, that was just, that was good. That was good fun. Stephen A. Smith had good stuff to say about it. Um, he said some other stuff last week. Do you remember? Oh, maybe. I heard a thing or two. <laughs> I uh, might know the guy he's talking about. I mean, uh, for the record, I, I read that. I mean, I feel like Stephen A. was trying to say, uh, I think he was trying to be off the cuff. I think part of him was trying to be Stephen A with the UFC guys, but all this Stephen A versus Joe Rogan versus it's like, oh my gosh, guys, you think that that's bad. He has probably insulted half of the NBA teams in his career, including his favorite. So I don't, guys, it's what he does. Don't get mad. You know, it is, it is what he does, absolutely. But because he is this entity in like the big sport world and MMA, even though, you know, UFC is growing crazy. It, I think to fans, it's still like the, um, the little secret, you know, that, that isn't, isn't mainstream yet, even though I think it's, it's, it's definitely getting there. Fans so are when protective. someone you would, yeah, they're protected yeah. when someone you would consider like an outsider to the sport comes in and not only criticizes like an MMA legend like Cowboy Cerrone, but does it in a really loud, arrogant tone? I think the tone is 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 more um, grating than than the message. Um, people are gonna get irked. They're gonna get hot around the collar, and you could see it live. You could see Joe Rogan looking at him like, "What are you saying, man?" And, and it's also to do with you know Cerrone being so well respected. Like if it had been Colby Covington, I don't think he would have had as many people jump into to the defense. But, you know, if you take away all the glitter and the, the gloss that Stephen A., you know, showers himself in, the message isn't, like, crazy off. You know, he maybe didn't understand really what happened, but I, I don't – I don't – I do understand why he could think it was quitting, you know. It's just a different sport, a sport that he's not used to. But he – you know, Cerrone got – blitzed and his his brain couldn't catch up with you know couldn't pro the computer couldn't process fast enough to to respond to connor's speed and varied attack so it wasn't quitting but it, it you know it was just um the computer he just wasn't warmed up enough to respond properly so look man Stephen a smith ruffles feathers everywhere he goes like you said it's, it's not the first time uh, he's he's attacked a, an athlete so yeah we could probably cool off a little bit and, and just know that if you don't want to hear what he has to say, then just look the other way. I mean, uh, I would remind people, you know, in his defense, not that he needs me to do it, I think everyone everywhere expected a little more from Cowboy last month. Sure. I, I don't think that's a 
incorrect response. I think, like you said, the language was uh, probably the big key there. But once again, it's Stephen A, guys. Relax. It does not, you know, does not need a full feature on several news sites like I saw. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I know we don't got UFC, but it news can't be that slow. We can't have a throwback Thursday talking about some old MMA. I think that could be just as all right. Yeah, and you like just by by, and it's it's because he's a big name that everyone starts talking about him and making the headlines. And then Nate and Connor, I'm like, really now? Yeah, man, and it's like you know what? Like you're just, it's, um, it's like, uh, how do I say this? You're giving attention to somebody that if 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 you don't if you just ignore it might 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 go away, but if you keep feeding it, then he's just gonna keep. He keep giving his keep opinion, right? Because whether he yeah. hates, whether you hate it or not, or whether he cares that you hate his opinion or not, you're giving him attention. He's getting eyeballs. His name is getting out there in a different sport. Like this is exactly what he wanted, you know, subconsciously or consciously. No, it's very true. But no, I mean, let's see. I think he'll have something to say. First take is still running, so I'm sure he'll be <laughs> back on Monday to talk about our next event this Saturday. MMA is back. With two title fights, UFC 247 from Houston, Texas. We'll be watching here from California, but I'm still very excited about the action. So, Natalie, let's start from the bottom up, working toward our main event. Let's talk about some marquee action in the heavyweight division. Derek Lewis taking on Alir Latifi. Alir's making his heavyweight debut. Um, he's been in the UFC a minute. Obviously, everyone knows Derek Lewis, top-ranked contender. Um, certainly, you know, still a top five guy. Uh, he was coming off the win over Marcin Tybura, I think at the BMF card in November, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a very big fight for Aliyah, a very big chance to step up. What are your thoughts on the fight? This is interesting because Derek Lewis is fan favorite, obviously, as Joe Rogan likes to say, best Instagram in town. And, but he's still unpredictable and not, not necessarily his fighting style like the version of Derek Lewis that you're going to get is, is what's unpredictable. Sometimes he's in terrible shape and he still manages to win. Sometimes, you know, he's in okay shape and it's kind of a lackluster performance. So I have no idea what state he's in now. I think the last time the last fight he had, he was looking pretty, pretty fit. Um, so that's, that's good news. He had back issues and uh, other health problems that sort of slowed him down. I think, in general, but this is interesting because when you're the the bigger name and you've headlined, you know, non pay per view cards like Derek Lewis has. Uh, actually, he did pay a headline a pay per view card, right, Daniel Cormier? Yep. Um, then, like, I think the pressure's a little bit on to show the new the. It's always like when someone's moving up into your weight class, right? You want to shut them down and say, like, "Hey, this is not a. You don't belong here. You're not good enough to face someone like me." So. Is Derek Lewis going to feel that pressure? Uh, Ilir Latifi has something to prove. What I don't want to see is if, if Latifi doesn't find success at that division, I don't want to see him just running back down to, to light heavyweight. I don't like it when these fighters move up, lose, and then instead of trying to figure out how to get better at that weight class, they just run back down to the, to the lower one. You see it with, I don't know, I feel like I see it a lot with Pettis, it, it it bothers me. It concerns me. That's for that's a topic for a different uh, a different conversation. Anyway, um, yeah, man. So Derek Lewis, it's kind of hit or miss. But when he's hit, when he's on, it's fun. And so hopefully we get a we hopefully we get some kind of cool knockout and some great some great Joe Rogan interview time. Yeah, I, I want to correct myself. His last fight was Blagoy uh, Ivanov. My bad. It? Yeah, uh, it's because they played the fight on youtube and i think it's the tybura fight that's why i mixed it up because they both went decision um yeah uh when it comes to Derek, obviously yeah i think it's really you look at what he's done on paper he knocked out volkov but everyone remembers that he, that was kind of the hell mary in 10 seconds holy totally yeah he's got the win over in ganu which yeah i mean yeah that that's a that's one of those times where he's missed. That was right? the that was the Twilight Zone fight. I don't care what anyone says. That, but Jeez. yeah, yeah, I don't got. But here's the thing: he's got the wins. They are officially a W. A win's a win. He didn't break no rules. 
you know, so this is a guy with a lot of ability. And I think everyone knows that. Everyone, you know, is very entertained by what he has to say. He speaks his mind. He knows he knows how to have fun with this job, certainly. I think with Alir Latifi, what a lot of people are forgetting that I want to say he was a guy who used to help uh, Alexander Gustafsson with his wrestling. I think that's why yeah. he made his UFC debut is because Gus couldn't fight and they were already in Sweden. So he kind of stepped up so late, but he got the fight with Giga Musasi. So this is a guy with a lot of ability. He's fought a lot of big names. He is coming off back-to-back losses. Now, he's a very big guy. Um, he's I'll, I'll say it. He's kind of built like Daniel Cormier. He's not a very tall, light, heavyweight. He's kind of built more broad. But will that help him at heavyweight? I think the biggest thing is, is he going to change up his style? I think that if you are moving up to heavyweight and you've been a guy who can make 205, is most likely because you're expecting to be a more lean guy. You're not expecting to hit 265. I expect him to hang around probably around Fedor weight, about 240 to, you know, ish, and be the smaller, faster guy. I expect that to be a strategy. That being said, Derek Lewis, he's not that tall. I feel like he's a guy who's going to be ready for that. I feel like he's a guy who expects that a lot. And quite bluntly, I just don't think Latifi's ever been... He kind of gets his takedowns off working off the clinch. I feel like I don't see him that often get it in the middle of the octagon. I don't know if you can really outmuscle a guy like Derek to get that takedown. And I think that's going to be the key. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, I don't know. Again, it goes to, for me, it goes back to what, what Derek are we getting and what kind of shape is he in? How conditioned is he? How, how resilient is he? He is, you know, a good deal taller. The reach isn't too far off. And you know what, man, this is one of those where I hope, I hope, uh, I'm, hmm, I'm rooting for Lewis to get a knockout just because I always want to see a knockout in heavyweight. But I don't know. It could be a it could be a little surprise if Latifi comes in just super cautious and focused on a game plan where he can capitalize on on Derek Lewis's weaknesses. Who knows, man? I'm still picking Lewis, but who knows? I w- I wouldn't put money on it. That's for sure. I mean, I'm gonna go Lewis too. I think that the X factor is gonna be the size. I think that Latifi's been successful because you know, look, this is a guy who's very strong, can really muscle you down. I think that that would work easier on, let's say, a fighter like Alexander Volkov. I think that when you talk about possibly getting a clinch with Derek Lewis, I don't know if Latifi can win that battle. And um, also for X Factor, remember that they're fighting in Houston. Remember, Derek Lewis was the guy, you know, driving his pickup truck, helping people in Houston. That's right. That's this right. is a man. This is the hero of this is the man of the people in this house. Mm-hmm. He is going to be putting on a show. They are going to love him in Houston. And I think that's going to give him that little bit extra to make something happen. So I am going to go with Derek Lewis. Um, I think, sec- you know what, first round, TKO. I think he's going to just uh, land the shot he needs when Latifi's in close trying to get him down. Yeah, I think it's going to be first round two. And, you know, as the rounds, as we go into two and three, I think if he doesn't have stamina, he'll fatigue, and then the fight could go the other way. So I think he knows he's got to he's got to uh, attack first, attack fast. And so I'm, I'm with you. Round one TKO, baby. All right, there we go for the Black Beast in Houston. Let's move on to championship action. I already know who you're going with, but of course. let's pretend, uh, you know, let's put on a show for the people. Valentina <laughs> Shevchenko versus Caitlin Chukagian. Um very bluntly, I think people are forgetting how good Caitlyn is. She is taller. She's got a little more reach. She is very capable. She's got a great gas tank. Um, she's won a lot of fights with tough people, and the fights that she's lost, you know, you got to give her credit for them. They were close, or they had some other circumstances. That being said, she is up against Valentina Shevchenko. That woman has, you know, she is all that in a bag of chips at flyweight. This is definitely a big mountain to climb. When I look at this fight, I think that it really comes down to the technique. You know, I'll say this. On the feet, I feel like it plays out similar to Julia Budd 
versus Chris Cyborg without the knockout power. What I mean by that is that Julia is a very capable athlete, very good stylistically. That being said, when you talk about tit for tat, you know, in terms of a striking exchange, I think that Cyborg's a lot cleaner. Same thing. Caitlin is very good, great movement, great height, great qualities, but Valentina is just that much cleaner, is going to be just that much better at getting her spots and getting out of the way defensively. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, Caitlin is, does better off her back, which bodes well because Valentina isn't afraid to go to the ground. That being said, I haven't seen anything that says, you know, I don't see her being able to get the submission off her back. I think that she will slow down the onslaught, but I don't know if... It, it's, it's just tough to escape when you're underneath Valentina. I think that she slows her down to get back up, but still that's in the defensive. I don't think she's got the ground game that she's going to shock Valentina off the, you know, with her jiu-jitsu, with the submission. Well, very interesting. So I, uh, I agree that, you know, Shevchenko is the superior MMA fighter. Well, you said, I don't know if you totally said that, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I was very diplomatic. (laughs) You were. Yes, of course. So I'm going to say personally, I feel that Shevchenko is a better fighter, better all around MMA fighter. However, yeah, what you pointed out at the beginning is is correct. Don't sleep on Caitlin Chukagian. Her striking is is excellent. She has very clean technique, that really long range uh, with her arms and her legs that she keeps. That She's very good at keeping the distance. Her footwork is incredible. She always circles out uh, as opposed to just moving backwards, which, you know, every time I watch fights, I, I shout at the TV like, why don't they circle out, circle out instead of just moving back? Easier said than done, of course, but she's very good at it. She's a good counter-striker. Fast hands, good head movement, waist, good good waist movement too, moving at the waist to slip punches. All that is excellent. The thing that worries me more is the most is the is the length on her. She's five nine, Shevchenko's five five. But as far as reach, at least on paper, it's only like half an inch off. With Caitlin having the advantage, it doesn't look that way though. When you see Chukagian fight, she just looks so long and rangy, kind of like a Nate Diaz. Um. And uh, the other, the other sort of like possible hang-up here for Shevchenko, who does have an amazing ground game, we've seen it, um, is that Chukagian trains under John Danaher, who's like one of the, the great jiu-jitsu coaches of, of you know the current era. So I don't know how far along she is as, as far as her skills compared to someone else you would consider a great MMA jiu-jitsu ace. Like you know, if you were to put her. If you were to line her up against, like, um, I don't know, Maya. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Is like if you ask Dave, say how good is she compared to Damian Maya? I have no idea, but probably not that good. But still, uh, respectfully, compare... most people aren't. Correct, right? <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, well, where do Shevchenko and Chukagian fall in line uh, after Damian Maya? Like, where where would you rank them, and how close are they to each other? I actually don't know. This is a tough one, right? Because we could we think of both of them as strikers, but John Danaher is no joke. What's interesting too about Shevchenko is you always see her in the hype videos, you know, countdowns embedded. She's training with Pavel, always with under Pavel's guidance, and it's striking. She's kicking trees, she's kicking pads, she's doing the dance with her sister. And then you see her fight, and she has this amazing takedown defense, amazing wrestling jujitsu, and it's like, who is who is your coach? Who is teaching her all these things? I have no idea, but she's just amazing. So <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, if the red hair hopefully doesn't jinx her that literally that's a concern of mine that like the red hair like Samson when he cut lost his hair is going to somehow like curse her Um, so (laughs) irrationally that's something I'm actually uh, worried about but I think it's going to be a good fight I think Chukagian is going to show up hopefully she doesn't uh, well I mean Shevchenko's a counter striker so so there's always that where Shevchenko is kind of waiting for you to act first and then she, she blitzes you. But I hope Chukagian brings it to her because I, I takes it to her because I want to see a good fight. I want to see a good back and forth. I think Shevchenko is going to come out on top, of course. But what I want to see is a good fight. I don't want to see what happened with, with Liz Carmouche. Where, and Shevchenko does this a lot. Um, she just fights almost too smart. You know, she's not going to put herself in harm's way if someone's 
threatening with something that maybe she's, though she's great at, she's not amazing at. So here we have two strikers. Hopefully we see something more like we saw with Joanna and Jacek. And that's, that's my rant. No, I, th- I think it's a very fair one. I think that, um, yeah, it, it really comes down to, and I think you're going to see it. I mean, I wish there was a clear way to put it, but you're going to see who is better at outmaneuvering the other. That's what both of these women do is, you know, you get in, you get out, you're able to land with volume. I think that the biggest thing is Shevchenko kind of be, does it landing more shots, you know, just very bluntly when you tally up the final card. Caitlin, I think the reason people get on her case a lot is maybe doesn't seem like she's landing as much. And for, you know, respectively, I don't think the output is as high as Shevchenko. But look, she gets it done. And, you know, that's kind of saying it's like, I know everyone wants to put it, but it's almost like apple to oranges. You fight for the fight that you have in front of you. You know, it's not about to, it's not supposed to be like, well... Her stats are compared to my stats and blah, blah, blah. So I would put that in mind, but on paper, you know, like this is Valentina Shevchenko. I think you're very right to give all credit that she figures it out. And when you have someone like that, yes, there is the potential to just dominate it and run away with this one. Caitlin's very tough. I do think Caitlin represents the last stand of the flyweights before Valentina starts thinking about people in other weight classes. So this is still a big one. But I do think it's still Valentina's to lose. <sighs> you know what? I'm going ro- to roll the dice. I'm going to go fifth round, unanimous decision. Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah, I'm the same. I have the same prediction because Shevchenko is cautious, uh, intelligent fighter. You know, she knocked Jessica I to the moon and back, but that's because she saw the opening. She tested it out with body kicks. It was there. Boom. She didn't feel threatened. That's not the case with well, actually most of her other opponents. In fact, when's, like she's only finished a few, right? Um, yeah, correct. Uh, Cachoeira and um, Juliana Pena and maybe some other one that I can't recall. Mm-hmm. So I think this is going the distance as well. Uh, she never gets tired. She has excellent conditioning. So in what I saw of Caitlin Shukagian, her her pace, her output seems to, to taper off just a little bit at the third round. So we'll see how she does with the two extra rounds. And she gets a little predictable at that point. By round three, I'm already kind of, I've learned her dance. So obviously that's something that she'll have to, that I'm, I'm sure she's aware of. And, uh, We'll be mindful of, but yeah, Shevchenko takes it to the unanimous decision. I think she'll probably attack Caitlin's legs, start kicking the legs, but she should watch out for counter punches to the face. That's uh, that's probably something we'll see early on, and then the rest, I don't know, man. I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, that's why we watch the fights, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, there you go. No, I mean, I, expect, I, I have a lot of high hopes for Chukasian. I think that it's a very good fight. Very simple. Very bluntly. Let's talk about the piece de resistance. John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. Um, I want to preface this. Ever since the Volkanovski upset on Max Holloway, I do feel a little more upset-minded. I really do think that Dominic Reyes has the goods to get the job done. That being said, just John Jones is kind of that guy. The best John Jones beats the best most people, um, you know, any given night, if, it's, if it comes down to that. I think that for Dominic Reyes, his biggest advantages are that he's very young. I do expect him to take a lot of risks out there. I do honestly think that Dominic Reyes has watched the fights with Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos, and he sees what worked. He sees what didn't. He sees what he wants to be able to do, what he wants to try to do. And I say this all the time. Unless you catch him early with something, which is what everyone would love to do, right? You're throwing hands. The point is to connect. If you're talking about a five-round fight, I think most people got to understand, you're probably going to have to take some shots getting into John's, John's range. What helps Dominic Reyes is 
he can get a lot closer a lot quicker because he's a tall long guy himself now I think the biggest thing is how does he adjust if John starts incorporating the wrestling we know he's fighting a more comprehensive game I think that's the biggest thing he's grown he used to kind of go for a lot more unorthodox stuff in recent years he's pumping the jab He's chopping at you with kicks, he's moving his head, he's using his length. He's not as crazy as he once was. And, um, you know, you're fighting tough guys like Anthony Smith, Santos, Gustafsson. That's uh, part of the game. But I do think that when, let's say, he's losing, you know, the striking exchanges, can Dominic Reyes defend the takedowns? Can he defend a guy in John Jones who's probably going to still try to chop away at him and work the takedowns, really mix up his entire game. I really don't know. That's obviously why John Jones is the big favorite. But I do think that Dominic has shown us a very well-rounded game that it's just about, is he actually going to be able to defend those takedowns? Is he going to be able to get out of the tough spots? Because John isn't known for being a, knock, a home run hitter. This could very well go the distance again. And I think that's the biggest thing is, if he can get out of those spots, if he can find the ones he needs, because otherwise we know John Jones can take you apart for 25 minutes. Yeah, we saw it with Anthony Smith. I was just rewatching that and like, you know, poor Anthony, I think he, he just mentally froze. I, I think he's admitted as much. And it was for Jones, it was almost just like he was playing with his food. Uh, round after round, he would just start attacking different parts of the body like whatever was exposed he would just stomp the foot knee the shin at the end he was you know like jumping his throwing thrusting his shoulder upward into into anthony smith's chin repeatedly that doesn't Kneeing work his, yeah i know <laughs> kneeing <laughs> his ribs when he's grounded i mean he also kneed him in the head you know it was an illegal blow i forgot about that until i rewatched it oh yeah yeah, yeah. But, but that aside yeah he was playing with his food it was like a cat you know, with the mouse. And and that's because Anthony Smith never, never got his scared respect. him. Yeah. Yeah, he never got his respect. He never scared him. He never pushed forward. He he never he never moved, made the first move. He always was waiting, waiting, watching, frozen. And Jones just was kind of just like, all right, if you're not going to do anything, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll keep doing this. I'll elbow you in the face. I'll spin. It was like he was just practicing. It was like, you know, when you're in Street Fighter or Soul Calibur and you're in, like, the practice mode and you just, like, <laughs> fry all your moves and, you know. Or sometimes when you <laughs> – I used to do this as a kid. I would play, like, a two-player game but only control one remote <laughs> and then just, like, beat the crap out of the other opponent, right? The other, the other person would just – the other character would just stand there. That's kind of what it felt like. So what I'm getting at is um, – and let me just quickly touch on the Tiago Santos fight, which is the counter to the Anthony Smith performance – Thiago Santos was a beast. He was injured. We know he injured his knees, and he didn't stop. He kept attacking. I think he won the fight, and that's what you need. So what Dominic Reyes needs is confidence. He needs to push forward, and he needs to not be intimidated or overwhelmed by being in the cage with John Jones or being on a pay-per-view uh, headliner or being fighting for the belt. Like You just go in there and try to kill, you know, in quotation marks, kill your opponent. That's what Tiago Santos did, and that's to me that's the key for Dominic Reyes. He has the skills to do it. He has the height, not quite the reach, but he can, you know, he has the skills to to get inside to to use his hands and feet how he needs to. It's just mental more than anything. So, um, I have my my notion of how things will shake out, but I don't want to uh, I don't want to jump into it until I hear unless you have more to say. I mean, all I have to say is, uh, should, you know, little me should have been hanging out and playing video games with little Natalie because, you know, the, <laughs> I would have totally picked up the other controller and hung out with you, Natalie. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm I, sorry I wasn't there. <laughs> that makes it sound like I didn't have anyone to play with. Which, I, yes, I suppose. I, I would have been there for you, dude. Thank, thank you, Double G. Thank you. No, no, no. I did. I had people. People to play with, but sometimes you just feel like being a cheater, and that was that was when I would get into like you know cheat mode, 
and just try to beat up the other the other character. So, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Whatever you now say. Now I have man. my son, so he'll be forced to play with me. <laughs> Whatever you say, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's too late now. Everybody knows I'm a no, I'm a sad I'm a sad okay. child, a lonely child. It's okay. I'm an only child. There were a lot of one player video games you know, <laughs> in my life. I never got good at. It. That's why I'm not gonna lie. I. I've tried a little bit of the online thing, like as a teenager. I never got into it, you know, hang out, play Halo online with people. Eh, not, never was my thing, if I'm being honest. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, to go back to the John Jones, Dominic Reyes, obviously what you guys tune in for. I mean, yeah, I'm with you there. I think that um, every time I see it, I think of what it really comes down to, similar to the Volkanovsky fight, either... Jones will have an answer or he won't. And I think for Volkanovski, it was the leg kicks. It was the pressure. I think for Dominic Reyes, I think it's going to be um, the mixing it up. I think that he understands, after seeing it so many times, what you have to do to consistently fight the range of John Jones. I think that either he will or he won't. And I think that his X factor pushed the wrestling. I think, very bluntly, not enough guys have really tried to take him down in a while. I do think that Dominic should take some risks to try to get in there and make that happen. I do think that that's going to be the thing that if John is going to have an answer for it, he will. If not, suddenly this really opens the door for Dominic Reyes. But if he cannot get to that second step, then I do think it becomes more of a kickboxing battle. Like I said, it's hard to predict anyone. When you have a guy like Jones, GSP, Demetrius Johnson, it's kind of like, man, it's hard to say this is going to be the night that it crumbles. I'll say that. Once again, Dominic Reyes is dangerous. I just can't pick against John Jones, man. You kind of believe in his ability to figure it out in there, even if he's not winning. I'm going to go decision. You know what? No. Third round submission. I think similar to the Gustafsson fight. Break him down. Oh. He's going to get on top and he's going he's gonna to set up something over time. Okay. So I agree with you that John Jones, man, he's, if anyone's going to figure out a puzzle in the cage, it's him, right? He's so crafty, creative. He's kind of a nasty fighter too. Like what I was talking about earlier where he attacks any part of your body that's open in ways that other fighters don't. He was stomping the heck out of Anthony Smith's feet. I felt so bad for him. Things that maybe people will do once or twice, but John does it like almost maliciously. And not, I'm not saying that as a knock. It's just, it's just what I observed. Those are his fight qualities in the cage. And that's gotten him where he is. So all that, all that in mind, I, uh, I do, and maybe this is more of just a wishful thinking, but I'm going to go with Dominic Reyes on this one. I think he's going to pull the upset. And I was actually on the same page with you as far as the round goes. I was thinking third round. I was thinking third round TKO for Dominic Reyes. We'll see. But you that's think, what I'm going with. You think he's just going to break him down and that's where he pieces him up for the finish? I think so. I think he's going to find a shot. It's probably going to be a head kick, but it could be a shot, something like, mm, not quite like the Weidman, Weidman punch because John Jones, is he's got you know better eyes and he takes a punch better than Chris Weidman, unfortunately, these days. But it'll be something kind of sneaky like that. Where in that instance, Reyes was like moving back uh, and and pushing, punching forward at the same time against the cage. He has that kind of ability. Not a lot of fighters have that. So it's going to be something unexpected. But it, but I'm thinking more likely a head kick. And and yeah, once he gets him, once he stuns him, he'll go in for the kill. And I think he can finish him in round three. Upset uh. the world, man. Oh boy, Natalie. Natalie's gambling. She, I am gambling, but not with real money. <laughs> she, she's looking to get baby Joe college tuition. You That's know, right. paid be, paid before the one year mark, before the six <laughs> months. Okay, I'm with it. All right, well, guys, there you have it. We are split. Natalie's going Reyes. I got Jones. Uh, we have Shevchenko. We both have Derek Lewis. So we will obviously be breaking down all of that action next week which also will have another fight night. This one, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Very important fight for the winner of this one. Corey Anderson versus Jan Blahovich. They fought before. Both of them are coming off great fights and great wins at light heavyweight. I, I'll say this, Natalie. 
I can see John fighting the winner of this one to close out the year. I think that he might get one more in. I do think we are setting up some kind of inevitable clash, whether it be Stipe, whether it be Adesanya. I told everybody I'm leaning toward the Adesanya fight happening, but these two fights, Dominic Reyes and then the winner of Anderson Blahovich, these are him sweeping the board. Adesanya beats Romero, beats Costa. See where Jared Cannonier falls in there? Suddenly we have a super fight in 2021. Light heavyweight. I do think, you know, pop the cherry on Raiders Stadium for the UFC. I do see that happening. So next week is a very critical one, I think, for the future of the light heavyweight division. Or it could be very meaningless if Dominic Reyes does do what you say and shocks all of us and we're talking about it on Monday. So very exciting, to say the least. Yeah, if, I agree. If if um, if John Jones wins, that that is the path for him. And 2021 is going to be easy. I don't think it'll be Stipe. Uh, but we'll see, man. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Oh, here we go. All right, guys. <laughs> thank you for listening. Remember, you can find me anytime at Double G on TV. Natalie, where can people find you? I'm on the Twitter machine at Natalie Zamudio underscore and on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. Awesome. Guys, have a great one. We'll be back next week.